0: My name is Reggie, and I welcome you today and I'm joined in the studio today by Elijah. Elijah, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, sir. Yeah, so good to see you. I mean, today we're going to be looking at the interview that the former military president granted a foremost TV station that's Arise last week. But before we go into that, I, I want to make another point on my news last week about the place of youths. And the reason I want to bring this back is because of the report that came out this week from the Commonwealth about the youth development index report this is a report that is being published yearly by you know the commonwealth to sort of provide some sort of realities about the state of youths in the commonwealth in all the commonwealth nations that report used indices like education employment health equality and inclusion peace and security political and civic participation of the youths. I couldn't get the age bracket that they use that they classify as youths, but I believe it should be between the age of 19 and maybe 35 or thereabout. Out of 181 countries that make up the Commonwealth, Nigeria is been ranked 161. In fact, the last time this report was published in 2016, between that time and now, Nigeria has dropped 20 places. I can see the look on Elijah's face, that surprise again, because this index being used at education, employment, health, equality and inclusion, peace and security, political and civic participation. Elijah, the reason I'm bringing this, if you look at Cardinal City, all the schools are short. What is going to become of those kids in another 20 years? Look at how many times the universities in the country have been short. Look at what's happening in the health sector in terms of strikes and the attendant brain drain. And the interview that we're going to be dealing with today... I am very sure I can predict. I don't need to be a prophet. To predict one of your questions is going to be on the fact that the former military president said that the next president of Nigeria should be within the age 60 bracket. I'm not trying to preempt what you are going to be saying, but I can bet you. So this all sort of come together, that there is a gang up, there is a huge plan in this country to ensure that those who are youths today Just like it happened in my own generation. When I was a senior in 1979, Obasanjo was the president. 20 years later, Obasanjo became president again. That tells you that the man who had the dream that the young shall grow actually maybe was blind. Because in Nigeria, youths are not leaders of tomorrow. They are not leaders forever. 161 out of 181. In fact, one point I didn't make, Elijah, is that the top is actually Singapore. Next to it is Slovenia, Norway, Malta, and Denmark. That's the top five. The last five are Chad, Central African Republic, South Sudan, Afghanistan, and Niger. Something is common to the last five, the bottom five. They are all at war. So you see why Nigeria too will be down there. In fact, as of today, I think the capital of Afghanistan is about being overrun by the Taliban. So, when you have all these sort of things, education, employment, health, equality, and all those kind of things, you can wrap it up in one wrapping paper called insecurity. All those things will just start happening of its own accord, the way they say it in Christian fold. So, that's basically it. What can we do? Elijah, what's on your mind?
1: Okay. My first question would be the question you preempted. (laughs) Okay. The general, in his interview, made a comment about his preferred age, for a candidate in the next election. Yeah. He specifically mentioned the age of 60. Yep. Now, from my position as a youth, my question to you would be, what do you think my reaction should be? Or what should the youths do in reaction to this kind of statement by a supposed elite?
0: Well, the moment you say reaction, you are already at a disadvantage. And let me say that why I'm not trying to be a... Uh, maybe an advocate for the general. Age really has nothing. And that, to me, it sort of tells me where it's coming from. Age has absolutely nothing. In 2023, I will be 60, right? Yeah. Will I be a good president? (laughs) I'm not campaigning. I will be 60. I made that point to let you know that age shouldn't be part of the yardsticks. It shouldn't be one of the boxes to check. But that is coming out of a kind of a worldview, a mindset, a perception that's very African. You know, that wisdom and age go hand in hand. You know, and you see again, Elijah, it is a reminder of who we are as Africans. You see, there's no difference between that and what the PRO of PDP said this week where they were interviewing him. On the crisis in the party, he said that the chairman has spoken to the, the Central Working Committee like a father will speak to the children. Now, you see, that's the kind of language that's been used in public space. And because that's who we are. But you see, who we are can be updated, can be upgraded, can be made more contextual. That today is not really about age. Right? It's not really about age. It has never been about age. Because if you are saying 60 is old, how old was Ronald Reagan? It was in his 70s. How old was Trump? The current president of America is even older than Trump. So it's not about age. So that someone has added years doesn't disqualify the person. Right? But we have to put what is said in proper context. So the youths shouldn't react to that. I believe they should respond. If you are reacting, you're already at a disadvantage. You are like a football team trying not to lose a game. But if you are responding, it means you have a plan to win the game. So it must be a response. And response is you taking responsibility. Reacting is you already blaming the person for your state. Now, the position where the youth find themselves, he said it. I don't know if you're going to ask a question as regards that. He said that the problem in Nigeria is that there's been a disconnect. There's been a widening gap between the elite and the people. So how, if the elite are not willing to close the gap, how can the youth begin to make the steps? If you are going to make the steps, you need to know the steps that the elites are making. So if they are taking two steps away from you, you should be taking ten. That's where you can close the gap. One, if you are going to do that, you need to understand what's my strength. The strength of the youth today is that of, number one, number. number two, is the power of technology. And I keep saying it. I am not happy that the Twitter news has gone down. It has gone cold. So the youth need to understand that they need to fight from a position of strength. There was a lawyer who was um, speaking on behalf of the government that came to talk to this lawyer to, I think it was a lawyer to Khan or some, you know, somewhere. he was defending the government for banning Twitter. I love what that lawyer did on TV. He went into the Twitter account of the lawyer and put it to the camera that this is your Twitter account. It is still active. You are talking, you are defending the government for banning Twitter. You are still on Twitter. You see, that's how the youths can begin to respond. Because that's what you have. You must fight tooth and nail to ensure that that is not taken away from you. You have number, you have technology. Now you now need to commit to some personal development. And I see that mostly in the South. And I'm deeply, deeply impressed with that. I always give the example of a street hawker. You see, you can continue to blame the elite for whatever. You continue to blame them for what they want to do. It's not that they don't know what to do. They've decided that the youths in this country must be weakened. But you see, if you go all out to attack, you are vulnerable defensively. You can be caught on the counter. I'm using football. So if there's nothing the elites are doing, there are loopholes in what they are doing. Those loopholes is what the youths need to look at. But the youths are not looking at those loopholes. They are playing the game of the elites. What the elites want you youths to do is to become a survivalist. But the youths, by nature, you should be an entrepreneur. The news about tech startups... And all those kind of things happening in Nigeria is still all the way low. If you look at MPSA in Kenya, it's making so much wave because of the population of Kenya. What is the economy of Kenya? The economy of Kenya is not up to that of a local government in Nigeria, at least in Lagos. We can't even compare some states to the whole of Kenya. So, But the level of entrepreneurial intensity in Nigeria is still at an all-time low when you compare it with our population. It's there, but it's far between. So, number, 65% of the population, you have technology. You now need to take personal responsibility to developing yourself and know that the environment is toxic. A guy that hawks plantain in traffic in Lagos also take orders on the phone and delivers. The guy hawks plantain. I know the knowledge gap between me and the they have some man that I buy plantain from in Joss. We can't even communicate. But that guy is putting the bowl of plantain on his head in a traffic light junction, right? My son was there negotiating with him, but I called you. You didn't pick your phone. He you said, sorry, I actually saw so the miss call. I sent you a text. The guy take orders. He delivers. The environment is not good. It could be knocked down by a car. Every job, every occupation has its own you know occupational hazards that's his own maybe the last point i'll make is that for the youth don't just go private also begin to consider taking places in the public service because part of the things that this report said is that there is no political and civic participation that won't be given you you will have to take it and that will require some sort of innovation and creativity.
1: Okay, uh, you actually touched on my second question, which is about his comment on the tyranny of elite elite. Suggestion on that. Yeah,
0: what he didn't say there is to, you know, look at himself in the mirror. There's something I always say about him, about Babangida, when I make comments on him personally. If anybody thinks that Babangida, the crime he committed against this country is stealing money, you are very, very gracious to him. That is, that is not what he did to this country. Babangida gave Nigeria a way of life, a way of thinking. Babangida crafted a culture for us. He's the one who crafted the culture of settlement. Is the one who crafted you know, the, the culture of, of friendship in high places. I, I have relations who served in the military. They would tell me, if you have any problem, all you need to do, all you need is to be able to see him. He will solve it. And he said it in that interview, he's very committed to his friends. He r- actually got everybody busy. He got everybody busy. He, he gave us a language. He even used the language that we gave him, way. That was what he used for June 12th. He wasn't apologetic at all about what he's done for this country. So what he has said is actually the face of that. The tyranny of the elite. He's the face of the tyranny of the elite. And I'm very sad that the lady did well, the lady that interviewed him did very well, but she was a bit overwhelmed by the presence of IBB. She was overwhelmed. And I don't know whether, that, you know, the, I mean, the, that whole interview will have been scripted to a certain extent, you know, and I don't know his relationship with that media house, you know, so I won't, I don't know those kind of details. But The lady didn't press enough for IBB to sit and talk about the tyranny of the elite. Now that's a that's a huge insult on the psyche of Nigerians. Yeah, it's a huge insult. That's all that's all I would say. And we can only you know it can only be put in the public domain that hey you insulted us. We can't be talking about your legacy in positive terms the tyranny of the elite if anybody is going to be the face of it is a guy called ibrahim Badamossi
1: Babangida. okay um, linking this to the next question uh, which is the subject of the economy mm. he uh, specified that there is too much control of the economy by the government what is the cause of this and is it good for a nation like nigeria
0: i really appreciate that he's still very articulate and he promoted his uh, structural adjustment program, which he took credit for the fact that that program has, you know, sort of produced a lot of wealthy, you know, some economic giants today. You see, there is no way anybody will come and talk about liberalization of the economy that he he, he won't seem to be making some sort of sense, right? Because... Yes to liberalize the economy, to let it run by itself, we promote entrepreneurship, we promote wealth creation, we bring out the creativity of people. But you see, either you control, or it's communism, or it's whatever. What is most important, right, is the sincerity of purpose. That is what is most important. That's what's missing. How many Nigerians, even the elite, even the educated... How many, what's the population of Nigerians that will watch, you know, like an economic program, a finance and economy program on TV from beginning to the end? For many Nigerians and for many Africans, even for many Americans, it's bullshit. That's what they call it. Those things are just, just plain on words. I remember one time the president in those days, I think it was Shagari Era, will present the budget. And Daily Times will publish the script. Somebody will come and say, "Let me tell you the economy, this budget, in the language of a man on the street." So, if the budget is like one hundred billion naira, maybe in those, maybe ten billion naira in those days, he said that will be ten billion cups of tea. <laughs> ten billion cups of tea. You see the way these economies are being. Presented and all those kind of things. What is most important there is, do you mean well? Economies it needs to be controlled. That's why you have regulatory bodies. But the control needs to be properly controlled. The lack of control also need to be properly regulated. L- look at the way we left our Naira. They said they let it, they just leave it to float. Now we have two parallel kind of rates. Mm, yes. Now the CBN is coming. Is that not control That's to come? and close down, or just say they will not fund BDCs again. That's some measure of control. But why did they leave the BDCs to just go haywire? Who's benefiting? You see, these are the issues. I read the news yesterday that should have excited me about the economy of Plato State. That Plato State is entering into a partnership with France for the production, that's the way the news came out, for the production of potatoes as production of potatoes. It shouldn't be production of potatoes. Maybe processing yes. of potatoes. Maybe preservation. You see, such things, again, when you talk about control of the... It should be very transparent. Credit to him. I think the last president in this country that really engaged the public... Is Babangida That really, really engaged the public. Maybe maybe are asking, yo... The economy not tweaking it. That woman didn't ask him about the rumor. Let's, let me call it rumor about the $12 billion of the Gulf War windfall. Because when the Gulf War started, price jumped up. Nigeria made an excess $12 million in the sale of crude. And it was alleged then that his government mismanaged it. But is it the only one, that's also the $2.8 billion from this current president, when he was head of state. He's been a litany of corrupt. So he can't be talking to us about economy. And he had one of the best brains as Minister of Finance, which is Falai, like, you know, in this country. So if he's talking about control, I didn't quite get that bit of what he was talking about in terms of controlling, but I had him talk about promoting, praising his economic program called SAP, which led to riots in this country because that SAP sold us to IMF.
1: One of the points that identified by the general is, uh, in particular, this government's uh, attitude to the rule of law. Okay. He even mentioned his role in the coup that removed the present president in the past mm-hmm. because of the same issue. Okay. Now, taking it to our present situation, what channels can be used to emphasize the demerits of this present government's attitude towards the rule of law? And its maybe possible effects on national development.
0: You know, there's something we always say that we need to separate the message from the messenger or the messenger from the message, and things like that. But you can't take it away. It's unfortunate that a former military ruler will come and talk about rule of law. You know, being a military ruler itself is a is a disrespect for rule of law. But oh, we cannot be comparing Buhari and Babangida. It is like saying that six is different from half a dozen, right? So. Um, for him to say that there's no rule of law under this government, is he lying? He's not. But to be coming from him is a slap on our faces because he had the opportunity for how many years? But he's a military man. And military, they have their own way of rule of law. You know, they have their own way. They, They rule by martial law. You know, you don't expect him to govern like a civilian. Because when Buhari said that he's a reformed, or a redeemed, or a born-again, a Democrat. There is no longer a military man. We are seeing the real Buhari right now. This is not different from, you know, Decree 4, which was one of the reasons, right, why IBB overthrew his government. So, but if you, you know, if you look at it, it's just that nothing has changed. I remember where I was when Babangida took over. I was a youth copper, 1985. And I'm here, the man is still granting an interview. I was a youth copper. In 1985, I was in camp. When he announced the school. I remember we had a, a very special meeting because then we were paramilitary. So they revoked all passes. I still remember the day when he took over. I was, I was in River State. You know, it's so easy in this country for a criminal to turn to an activist. I remember this same IBB, the late Nimi, took him to court. That when he left Astor Rock, he went with the key that he locked up the place. He took him to court, got a judgment. And somebody asked him, why are you going to court for this kind of case? He said, no, it's for the records. It's for the records that there was a time when a president left the government house and went away with the key, locked up the place. Now, that is the same president I read yesterday that the son has just been appointed the chairman of one of the topmost banks in Nigeria. He said he was a young boy when he joined the military. He lived in a mountaintop. Even the, the journalists that interviewed him talk about his palacios, his, you know, in this opulence. What is his entitlement? He retired as a four-star general. What is his civilian pay? Those are the questions that we don't ask. So when he's talking about rule of law, where is the rule of law? There has never been rule of law in, in this country. Under military, under civilian. So he shouldn't be the person talking about rule of law. He doesn't have the moral right to talk about rule of law, but do you blame him? When the guy who has come, I don't know what he will have been like in Babaniga as a civilian president. I don't know what he will have been like. But he's the one that's there right now that we can say that, okay, you are no longer a soldier. We can excuse him for being a soldier, right? So just don't. They don't know rule of law. They know martial law, right? They, you know. But this man said he has been reformed. He has repented. He believes in democracy. We can't see any rule of law anywhere. People have been arrested. In fact, the first thing he did was to pick somebody. It's not whether the guy has done something wrong or not. He's still an accused. the national security advisor to Good Lord Jonathan. I don't even know how the case ended. My point is there has never been rule of law in Nigeria. Babangida can talk about it. But for me, it doesn't have the moral right. But I mean, we're talking about morality here, so it's it's highly subjective.
1: Okay. Yeah. Also, in this conversation, when he touched the side of politics, he mentioned the ongoing move for a one-party state. Mm. He talks against that and insisted he wanted to have a two-party. Yeah, establish two parties. Yeah, yeah. In a political enclave like Nigeria, what do you think would work best?
0: You see. You know my stand. You've you've interacted with me on this program many times. You know my stand about democracy for Africa. I don't believe in it. I don't believe Africa should be practicing democracy. So, because we are talking in ideal terms, when you talk about two-party, multi-party, the foundation of it is ideological. It's ideological. What he tried to do was to simulate it. It's not that's not the way it's done. It's organic. Right? Yes. You know, it's organic, you know, because he set up the National Republican Convention and then the Social Democratic Party. Those names were given based on some sort of perceived ideological bends. And then he wanted those who believe in those things to just flow, they just queue behind those things. That's not the way it works. can have many political parties. You can have only two. But credit to him that he understands that nigeria africans generally need to be midwived politically and he did that because today what's the reality we have two dominant parties but when you look at it also is one is one they just go between the two parties and all those kind of things they they don't have any game plan there is no ideology we see we have overflogged that point that the politics of nigeria is not ideological it's not only Nigeria, it's Africa. We have to be sending good wishes to my friends in Zambia this week. Why? They are going to the polls. Because people die every time Africans vote. You can have whatever. Nigeria is still a one party. Africa is still going to be largely a one party state. Because the leadership paradigm model found historically in Africa is the strongman model. Is the hero model. The last time we had a semblance of orderliness in our, polit- in our political space, that was when we were voting personalities. I was in the Southwest then. Who knew Ambrose Ali? People weren't voting for Ambrose Ali for Bender State. They were voting for Aulawa. People were not voting for Nubanjo in Ogum State. They were voting for Aulawa. Nobody was voting for, you know, for Bajashi Nundu state. They were voting for Aulowa. Nobody was voting for Jakonde in Lagos. They were voting. So, still, that's our mindset. Today, northerners still defer to Amandubelo. Even where we sit here in Jos today, there is still a father of this whole state. Who? Solomon La. You see, that's who we are. We can't deny but how do we modernize that? But if you look at it, somebody like the governor of Ogun State, I mean the governor of Ekiti State, or the current vice president, the only alliance they have to the likes of Awolowo today ideologically is the cap. They wear his type of cap. Tinumbutu wears it. Those guys were a bit still ideological. You see, but we can't be talking about political structure in in Nigeria or Africa, right? How many times have an incumbent lost in Africa? There are no elections in Africa. It's just some sort of contraption. We have to understand that we are we are practicing something that is not us until we get back there. We will still have the likes of who should be, you know, if he has been properly tried, if there is rule of law. Right, but we can't. And the man is still the superstar. Nobody asks how he made his money. Nobody asks all those kind of questions because he's you know we elect a president. We call him Baba. You know our president is our father. Meanwhile, where the party democracy is supposed to be our servant. These are the issues. Somebody said we should allow independent candidates in Nigeria. Said in Nigeria, maybe in a local government. Right. So when you talk about two-party state, one-party state, those things don't work in Africa. They don't work. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but that's just the reality. The country all Africans are singing their praise today is Rwanda. It's a one-party state. I just read to you those, the number one in terms of youth development index in the world is Singapore. It's a one-party state, substance over form. These are the realities of Afro-Asian orientation. Until we come to terms with that, we will still be having all this. Babangida will talk about two parties that you set up and you allow you call all politicians to go and register in those two parties. Then there's no freedom. Give people freedom, right? But the man understood our political orientation that we need to be midwived, right? We need that element of my, my American friends don't like it because they heard the word dictator there that dictatorial tendencies that come with some sort of benevolence. That's what we need in Africa. That's why Babangida will still give an interview and to be trending. Thank you very much for hanging out with me on this episode of Dr. Reggie Podcast. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Reggie Musings on Instagram, Dr. Reju, on Twitter, Dr. Reju, and we can be listened to on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a host of other podcast spaces. Please follow me and uh, drop a comment, drop a question, and I'll be glad to continue this conversation with you. Thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.